It's the simple things. I'm telling you. It's simple things like socks, you know, that God can use for the kingdom. Sometimes we think only the big wigs, only the big evangelists, only Pastor Kurt, only, you know, those people can be effective and make a difference in the kingdom. I'm telling you, Mike Gish has made a difference in the kingdom with cat toys and roaster sticks. And people are coming to Christ because of those things. So here's my first point with you today, that God chooses to do big things in simple spaces. Let's not disqualify ourselves from what God wants to do in us and through us. You'd be surprised what God will call you to do if you will just let him do it. Okay, so we're looking at God doing big things in simple spaces this week. Micah 5.2 is one of the prophecies that came down hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Micah predicted where Jesus would be born. And here it is. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village. Can you say only a small village? Only a small village among all the people of Judah. Like there were much better villages and cities for the Messiah to be born in. But God chose Bethlehem, only a small village. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past. There it is again. Remember last week we talked about prophecy and how Jesus existed long before he ever came to this earth. Here it is again. His origins are in the distant past. Will come to you on my behalf. Bethlehem, tiny little village. Here's a picture of what it might have looked like. This is actually a house and probably what the stable could have looked like as a cave rather than the wooden structure that we buy at the store. But this is what a house, typical house would have looked like in Bethlehem and then a typical town would have looked like in Bethlehem as well. So Bethlehem, what do we know about it? Well, the name means house of bread. Again, get, get a feeling for the simplicity of this theme of God. God loves to do big things in simple spaces. The house of bread, what is bread? It's the most stable and simple food found around the world for thousands of years. Bread is flour and water primarily, right? Flour and water. And so the simplest food known to man that you can make. And this was a village. When Jesus was born, I think now there's about 25,000 people in Bethlehem. It's Palestinian now. But when Jesus was born, there were just a few houses. It was a village. And this region was a high producer of wheat, of flour, which is probably where the name House of Bread came from because they produced a lot of wheat in the area. In fact, you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz. Their story took place in the fields outside of Bethlehem. And so Boaz was a farmer of wheat. You remember the story, right? In the line of Jesus. And this took place here. If you remember also, a big thing that happened in this little town is that David was born in Bethlehem. David was born there. This little boy that, that when, when um, Samuel came to pick out the new king of Israel, he passed over all of David's brothers, the, the big ones, the handsome ones. And then he says, where's, where's the last one? You know, and so they go and find Samuel, and he's this little boy who's raising sheep, or they go and find David, sorry. So this little boy raising sheep in the fields, and it was there that David was anointed. And it's interesting to me that God chose David over all of his brothers. And I don't know if you remember, but this is what God told Samuel when Samuel was passing over all the other brothers. 
Samuel looked at Eliab and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. I mean, big, handsome, an older boy, right? A young man. But the Lord said to Samuel, and this is key, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Remember that. As we're thinking about the simple things of Christmas, as we're thinking about the way that God does things, remember that that God doesn't look at the outward appearance like man does, but God looks at the heart. He looks at our heart. And as we talk about simple spaces this morning, you know, the heart is probably the, the smallest and simplest space that we work with and that God works with. You know, David would later go on to be called a man after God's own heart as he would become a worshiper who wrote the book of Psalms and poured out his heart of worship to God. And God loved that about about David. Even though David sinned grievously, God still loved him because he had a heart of worship. So I think the heart, when we talk about small spaces where God does big things, I think the heart is probably the simplest space, the smallest space with the highest potential that God can actually take the heart of a sinner and can turn it into a saint, can turn us all into somebody that loves him and and that begins to impact our own village, our own Bethlehem with things like kindness and goodness and joy. I mean, those are the things that God loves to see come out of our hearts. And so as we talk about small spaces and the fact that God wants to do things, big things, I think we begin with our hearts. That's where we start. God wants to do big things in our hearts. God wants to change us from becoming, from being self-centered to becoming other-centered, people that love others. So God starts with the small spaces of our hearts, but then God moves to the slightly bigger spaces of our homes. These families this morning that came up to say, we want to raise these children in the love of Jesus. That's really what they're saying. We want to raise these children in the love of Jesus. That's the village of our home, right? And everybody has a home, even if you're the only one in your home. Everybody has a home that is your smallest village. And home is where we invest into one another. Home is where things are born. Like Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Home is where things are born in the life of your spouse, in the life of your children. Sometimes, like this morning, in the life of your grandchildren. Home is where things are born in our lives. And we choose, each of us choose what we want to invest in one another in the village of our home. We have a choice to love our spouse or to not love our spouse. We have a choice to love our children or not love our children, to spend time with them, to speak words of affirmation over them. We have the choice, each one of us, in the village of our home. So I hope as you think about the small space of your heart and the small space of your home that you realize that no one is disqualified from God wanting to do big things in little spaces. You know, I think some of the things I remember as my kids were small was simply reading the Bible to them. I think pretty much every day we read Bible stories to our kids. I know that when I put the kids to bed, I would pray with them as they went to bed at night. I'd often fall asleep next to them in their bunk beds. 
um, to make going to church, and this is a lost art, or we're losing this art in America, to make going to church together as a family, to make that a priority. To make that a priority. It's important that children go up realizing that once a week we come together with other people to worship Jesus and to hear from God's word and to fellowship together. You know, you can add to that small groups. You can add to that youth ministry and different kinds of Bible studies. But those are the primary, those are the flower and water of your home that we raise our kids that way. Zechariah in Zechariah 4.10 said, Do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So I want to ask you this morning, in week two of Advent, as we think about Bethlehem, we think about this small village, this only a small village in this story this morning. I want to ask you today, what's happening in your small village? What's happening in your heart? What's happening in your home? What's happening in your workplace? Are there ways that you are investing into the lives and the hearts of other people? What small space may God want to do big things in through you? Might just be another workmate. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking some of the small spaces that God has done big things in my life. And I don't know why, but the memory of the Northwest Washington Fair came to mind. How many of you like the fair? Let me see. Say yes. Chad's here this morning. I think Jim's here this morning. So... I love the fair. I've been to the fair almost every year of my life. And I began going to the fair when I was very young. When I was about, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years old, I would spend the night with the cows. They still let you do that. Uh, And Danny Van Dyke would have me stay uh, stay with the cows. And and so that, uh, sorry, Danny Notabone would let me stay with the cows. And it's been fun all my life. But here's a a memory I had when I was thinking about the fair. Back in the day, underneath the grandstand, they used to have a whole bunch of little booths down there. And you could still go up and down the ramps, you know, to get out. We used to run up and down those ramps as kids. And I remembered yesterday one booth that made a huge impact on me. And it was nothing more than a couple of chairs and a table and I think maybe a a curtain behind this woman named Willie Tinclay. And Willie Tinclay was with Child Evangelism Fellowship. And Willie Tinclay every year would go to the fair and she would sit under the grandstand in that simple space. And she would sit there. For hours and hours every day and every child that walked past she would invite them to come in and sit on the chair and then she would tell them the story of Jesus using the flannel graph remember the flannel graph we got to bring back the flannel graph I'm telling you it's a powerful tool and you think about that and you think about the simplicity of that and I can remember her telling me the story of Jesus and using the flannel graph And I've told you that I accepted the Lord at five or six years old, and I do believe that Willie had a part to play in my receiving Christ, and that God used that simple space of that little booth under the grandstand where grander things were happening. But I would submit to you this morning that perhaps the grandest thing that ever happened was under the grandstand with Willie Tinclay, where probably hundreds of kids heard the story of Jesus for years and years and years and gave their hearts to Christ. I'm telling you, God loves to do big things in simple, small spaces. You know, your small village may be the simple place where you work, encouraging the people you work with, 
building them up, giving them words of affirmation, gaining trust and entrance into their life, taking the time just to know them, just to be interested in them, using the fruit of the Spirit like kindness and goodness, bringing joy to where you work. Wouldn't that be cool? To be a man, to be a woman who brings joy to where you work. And I want to say to you this morning that there's no village more important than the small, insignificant space where you spend 20, 30, 40 hours a week of your life. It might be the truck that you drive, the farm that you stop at. It might be the salon and the chair that you give dozens of haircuts or beauty treatments a week. It might be the fact that you work a front desk at a doctor's office or you work on somebody's car. Do you know the person I trust uh, just a little bit less than my doctor is my mechanic. You know, my doctor has my life in his hands. My mechanic has my car and my ability to get around and not be stranded in his hands or her hands, right? And so to, to be in one of those small spaces, don't ever disqualify yourself from having this place of trust. And if you build trust with people, the day will come when they'll walk into your place of business and you will be able to tell that something's not right. And the day will come when you'll be able to say, hey, can I just pray for you? And I'm telling you, that is a powerful thing to say, and most people will never turn you down. Even if they're not really church people, even if they're not full-on followers of Christ, most people will not turn down prayer in their time of need. And that may be the thing that God has had you getting ready for. Prayer sanctifies the space. I don't care what space you work in. Prayer makes the space sacred. Prayer invites God to be there as you do your business, whatever that business might be. You know, I've worked with bankers in my life. I worked with Glenn Powell, who helped me with my first house. And and Glenn, I know, prayed for me. I know that Glenn was there for me. You know, now Mike Gish, you know, with my last house. I know that these people in their place of business care about others. And they pray for the well-being of others. And I know that either of these two men would have grabbed my hands anytime I needed, and they would have said, let me pray for you. I know, they both would. So God chose to do the biggest thing the world would ever know in a tiny space called Bethlehem. And that's number one. Number two in your notes today that God still chooses not just simple spaces, but simple people to do his purposes just like he did in Bethlehem. Let's read from Luke chapter 2. This is one of the most famous Christmas stories here in the Bible. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem, to Judea, David's ancient home. Now, when you really think this through and you trace back the dots of this story... Do you understand how much intention God put into the prophecy of this story and making sure all things happened the way they were prophesied? It's all just such a beautiful, beautiful story that was set up by God. And so he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. 
She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. I just want you to think through the simplicity of the people that God chose to use for this story. When he could have chosen anybody, think about it with me, okay? And then think about yourself. He chose Joseph, who was a carpenter, who had a business, presumably, building or possibly making furniture. And you do realize that Jesus had a stepdad, right? So this was a blended family. Joseph was Jesus' stepdad. And God chose a teenager named Mary, not a seasoned mom, not someone who had had a few kids to practice on. Mary hadn't practiced, and she gets God. Imagine, Lord, I don't want to screw this up. Could I practice a few times? No, Jesus was first in her life, and God chose then for Jesus to be born a simple baby, a simple baby, human Like you and I, yet fully God, we don't understand that mystery, but there it is. To be laid in a simple manger, a simple manger. This tiny human baby held the power of God to reconcile an entire world to himself. You do realize that. This little baby, six, seven pounds, held within himself the power of God to reconcile an entire world to God. Unbelievable, remarkable when you think about it. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are now Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So guess what? Now you're God's partner. Now you're God's partner. So God not only chooses Christ, this simple baby, to encapsulate the power of God, but now he chooses you. I don't know about you, but I consider myself pretty simple. Pretty simple. There's not a lot going on here. Pretty simple. (laughs) Right? Sometimes people have to poke me to make sure I'm still breathing. I mean, it is. I'm pretty simple. Yet he chooses us. He chooses us to, in our simple space, in our village, to be that person that partners with him to build relationship, to begin to reconcile, to build a pathway for people to come to Christ. That's really what our job is once we come to Christ, that someone's soul could be changed for eternity. In fact, it's one of the few things that the Bible says angels rejoice about. Angels rejoice When one sinner comes and responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says in Luke 15, there's joy in the presence of God's angel when even one sinner repents. So I want to ask you today, again, don't think big. Don't think worldwide ministries. Don't even think countywide ministries. Think to yourself today, what can I do to partner with God in my space, in my simple village, to reconcile one lost sinner back to Christ, who, by the way, all of heaven is going to rejoice over. What can I do? How can I live? How can I bring kindness, joy, love to people? You know, again, for David Viss, it meant saying yes to a mission trip with YWAM, getting to Mongolia, and God gave him a heart for Mongolia, and God gave him 
a plan with socks. Doesn't get much more simple than socks, right? God spoke that to David. Mike Gish. You know what this represents right here? Besides cats having fun. Seriously, this represents a soul. This represents a soul. You sell enough of these, you buy a projector and the video of Jesus in Hindi. You go to a village. I think I have a picture of this is exactly one of our projectors in a little village showing the Hindi version of Jesus. And there will be people that give their hearts to Christ from that video. Every time they show the video, somebody gives their hearts to Christ. That's what this represents. And so I'm just saying, don't limit yourself. Mike's a banker. It should inspire confidence in you. Right? Don't limit yourself. God uses simple things. God uses simple people. God uses people doing things below their pay grade to reconcile a lost world to him. God uses simple people and simple things to accomplish his purposes. You don't have to give birth to the Son of God. That's been done. Okay? But do what the Son of God invites you to do. And that's different for all of us. For some people, it's socks. For some people, it's cat toys. But here's what I know. God is always looking for the next simple person to do something simple and powerful through. You know, after all, I think that it's the heart that matters. I really do. I really don't think that God is as concerned about the outcome of our amazing ministries. I think that God is mostly concerned with the heart. You know, I think that in David's story, what God loved about him at the end of the day was the heart. Not even what you do, but why you do it. What motivates you to do what you do? What motivates you to not do what you could do? You know, God wants to use each of us, and he looks at our heart. And I want to ask the question today because I believe in, in being very practical. And I don't want any of us to walk away without thinking deeply about this. How can you give yourself to the small space of your village in a way that might be a little different this year or a little new? And being creative with that. It's clearly about the heart behind the giving. And I want to tell you this story about Jesus. And this is not about money. So I don't want you to think I'm asking for money, okay? This is about the heart. So in the book of Mark, Jesus sits down near a collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their sur surplus, or in other words, they gave out of their, their, you know, what they had, their blessing. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. This is clearly a story about the heart. You know, Jesus was saying about this little widow woman that she's giving out of her need. And so her gift is actually greater. And so I think what Jesus is really concerned about and what God is concerned about is our willingness to say, you know, Jesus, I don't feel equipped. Jesus, I have no idea what I would do. Jesus, I have no idea how I could contribute, how I could help reconcile. And that's exactly where Jesus wants us. Because that is what requires faith, right? 
So it's in those moments when we don't know what to do, when we don't know how to give, that Jesus says, have some faith. You know, jump off the ledge. Let me help you. Let me empower you. And that brings us to number three today, that God loves simple giving. We see this. We see this in how God gave Jesus to a dark and dying world. And that's number three. God chose a simple gospel to save the world. God chose a simple gospel. It's not complicated, folks. God could have made it a lot harder. It could have required a doctorate or a double Ph.D., or at least a community college, or at least a GED. God could have made it more complicated. God didn't. God made it very, very simple, but not less powerful. John 3.16, you know this well, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everybody in the room should learn that verse. You should learn that verse. You should know that verse. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. You know, Paul, in the book of Acts, told a desperate Roman jailer who was just about ready to kill himself. He was ready to fall on his sword because there had been an earthquake, the prisoners were escaping, and the jailer knew that he was going to be put to death by his Roman, you know, bosses. So he's ready to fall on his sword. And Paul comes up and the jailer says in desperation, what do I do to be saved? And Paul said this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So it doesn't get any more simple than that. And God was very intentional about choosing a simple gospel that every person on the planet would be able to respond to would be able to say yes to. I think pretty much anyone can understand that Jesus loves them. That Jesus loves them. You may have noticed that here at North County we dedicate kids and then when they're at the age where they can understand that Jesus loves them, we'll baptize them. I think it's been as young as four or five years old and they're able to articulate that they love Jesus and they want to follow him with their life. That's all that's required in that simplicity of that moment where they say, I understand that Jesus loves me. Again, I was only five or six years old when I sat in that simple space with Willie Tenclay. And she shared with me the gospel on a flannel graph. And my parents had a lot to do with that as well. I'm telling you, God has kept it simple for us, but none less powerful. 1 Corinthians 1 says, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So next time you think you've got it figured out, just read that scripture. Okay, I will tell you, I do not have it figured out, and I'm happy to live in the mystery of the gospel. Happy to let God know it all. I don't have to. In Ephesians 2 8, it says, By grace you've been saved through faith. So it's the simple act of believing in Jesus and his grace for us, responding to that call of the Holy Spirit on our lives to respond to such a great love. 
But again, I want to point out that simple does not mean ineffective. The gospel has the power to change. Nothing else can change like the gospel. Nothing else can save like the gospel. So it's not ineffective. It's just not complicated. Never assume that simple means powerless. It doesn't. I just love the fact that God built our entire universe on tiny, tiny, tiny little building blocks that you can't even see without the help of a microscope. And it's in these building blocks that we see incredible power. Now, how many of you remember middle school science? Let me see. Anybody? You've blocked it out. Well, biology was one of my favorite subjects in high school. Took advanced biology. I loved it. Do you remember the, the building blocks of all matter? You remember what those are? Come on. Got to be a scientist in the room. So atoms, right? Atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons, which make up the atoms, and the atoms join together to make molecules, which make up matter. That's a simple version. I'm sure I've left something out. So here's my point. 81 years ago this month, over Christmas vacation, two physicists, Lisa Meitner and Otto Fritsch, made a startling discovery that would immediately revolutionize nuclear physics and would ultimately lead to the atomic bomb. This discovery was that a uranium nucleus had split in two. That was the discovery 81 years ago. Here's a picture of the atom splitting and a picture of what happens as it sends out neutrons to then split other atoms. And that's what causes the chain reaction that causes nuclear fission or causes a bomb to go off. This happens uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, if not thousands and millions of times. And every time one of those uh, atoms breaks apart, it then sends out more neurons or neutrons to, is it neutron or neuron? Neutron to bust apart another one. That's the chain reaction that causes power, but it all starts with one. It all starts with one, okay? And so the, the splitting of this atom set in motion of this powerful chain reaction. I want you to get this and understand the power that is in the simplistic here, okay? I'm trying to draw uh, a picture here for you. Here's some pictures of, of some comparisons. So this paperclip, the mass of this paperclip has roughly the energy of the atomic bomb that destroyed Hiroshima, the mass. If you were able to divide all the atoms in that mass, that is what would destroy Hiroshima, okay? Uh, go down to the third one. All the solar energy that strikes the earth in a second is equivalent to just four pounds of mass. All the energy from the sun in a second you could pack into four pounds of mass. Okay? Think about that. Pretty remarkable. A dollar's worth of pennies would power New York State for about two years. Or two days, sorry. A dollar's worth of pennies. Imagine if we could pay that much for electricity. Wouldn't that be great? A 2.2-pound lump of coal, in theory, could illuminate a light bulb for 29 million years. We're talking about the mass it would take to release the atomic, the fission, the atomic power. And then finally, a moderate-sized house converted to energy could possibly split the earth in half. So if you could convert your smaller house to energy, you could split the earth in half. That's a lot of power packed into the smallest building blocks of creation and I just love how this mirrors the power of God packed into the Son of God. I just love this. And I love how creation gives us pictures of the power, the unlimited resources of God that are packed into such small spaces. 
and how the power of Jesus Christ to forgive and renew and reconcile and bring us back to God is unparalleled and unmatched. And yet God allowed that to be found in the form of a tiny baby that we celebrate at Christmas time. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unbelievable, remarkable. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. This last picture is what I imagined happening as Jesus Christ was split by a sword and all the power of God through his death and through his resurrection was released upon a dying and sinful world. I mean, just a remarkable way that God chose to bring the gospel to us. And so we live in the mystery of this gospel. We live in the mystery of this powerful gospel that is packed into such a simple space into a manger into a tiny village called bethlehem into a tiny baby named jesus god is the one with the power god is the one who makes us right in his sight and yet he chose to use the simple spaces would you stand with me this morning you know god said through Isaiah, that my thoughts are not like your thoughts and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. And so it is with the gospel. And so this morning, what I want to do before we close in worship is I want to give you an opportunity, if you've never received Christ, never received the gospel, the power to change us on the inside, the power to forgive us of our sins, the power to bring us back into a relationship with God. I'm telling you today, and I think Many people in the room would tell you there's nothing like this. This is why we're able to do life. This is what we place our hope in. So if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me right now in this Christmas season. There's no better time to do this than the day we celebrate Jesus coming to Bethlehem. So let's bow our heads. Just pray with me if that's you this morning. God, today I just recognize that without you, I'm lost. And without you, I'm destined to live in the ruin and wreckage of my own decisions and choices. And God, I've made a few. And so Lord Jesus, this morning I understand that, that you are the son of the living God. And that you came to give your life for us. And that you came to forgive me of my sins. To cleanse me from all my unrightness to bring me back into a relationship to reconcile me with God. And so today, Lord, today I choose to receive your gospel, to receive your provision for my sin. Jesus, you did it all for me. In fact, you even gave me the faith to believe in this moment. And so I say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Come into my heart. Change my life. Create in me a new person, a new creature, a new creation that I could live the rest of my days in relationship with you and that I could place my hope for eternal life in you. Jesus, today, I give you my heart.
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you did that this morning for the first time, I would love to hear from you. You can email me, you can call me. I would love to just pray with you and understand that you made that decision today. Okay, so please do that if that's you this morning. We're going to finish with a couple of great songs of worship as we close our time together. So let's give our whole heart and worship to the Lord as we do this.